that what we really need is large, clumping, ugly, norm-core sneaker trends for 2019. We're unbelievable, aren't we? And also, it seems we're increasingly unbelievable. Recently, Business Insider published the aspirational daily routine of a 20-something exec from San Francisco called Melania. No relation. She wakes up at 5.30 a.m. to meditate, play tennis, drink green sludge, and catch up with friends across Europe, Asia, and the US. In her evenings, she takes a postgrad course at Stanford, does yoga, cooks nouvelle cuisine with her perfect boyfriend, and works to help the women of Papua New Guinea. I just like to give back, she honked. <laughs> but Melania, no relation, seems to be living such a perfect life that her readers very much doubt whether she or her life actually really exists. And in fact, she's been now spending all her free time having to give interviews to other publications, plaintively telling them all, no, I am really a real person. Now, far be it from me to cast aspersions on Melania. And no doubt all of you, along with Melania and Cardi B and Wiz Khalifa, and Chance the Rapper, have all been hashtag living your best lives. I'm just unsure whether I have, because when I compare my life to those lives, I don't really seem to be quite getting up to speed. 6 a.m., be rudely awakened by a child kneeling on my face. <laughs> 7 a.m., drink cups and cups and cups, of inexpertly brewed caffeinated brown liquid and eat a whole loaf of bread just to try and wake up. <laughs> 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. work, slash stare at the internet. 5.03 p.m. assure myself that no, I will not be drinking alcohol today. It is, after all, a school night. 5.06 p.m. for poor first glass of wine. <laughs> 8 p.m start Netflix series for the nth time of asking, having never quite made it through the opening episode because I keep falling asleep, 8.07 p.m. fall asleep. I'm living my best life, people. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> but I have a feeling Business Insider won't be asking me for an interview anytime soon because it's 2018 and what we really want is Melania's life. Even if we have a sneaky suspicion that Melania's life is not actually Melania's life. We are, quite often it seems, becoming unbelievable. And increasingly, start raving bonkers too. I really like animals, I have to tell you that. I love animals. We have an imaginary dog that we haven't quite got yet, but it has a name, it has a species, it has a color. We know what it's going to be, but we just haven't got it yet. I do love animals, and I don't want any harm to come to animals, apart from possums. Possums are overgrown rat demons with black eyes and no souls. I'm very happy for a lot of harm to come to possums. But all other animals I do love. I just need you to know that. Because nevertheless, I can't quite get on board with the latest online campaign from PETA, the animal rights activist organization, because they've accused the whole of the entire English-speaking world of being speciesist. Yes, speciesist. 
Why? Well, because, as we know, our language needs to change as culture changes and we realize how our language can enforce prejudices on humans, we need to think about how that can also happen with non-humans too. So, and this is completely true, no more saying things like killing two birds with one stone that hurts the bird's feelings. <laughs> no more grabbing the bulls by the horns. What is that going to do to bovine self-esteem? No more bringing home the bacon because, well, uh, bacon? I, I don't really know. But instead, we should be feeding two birds with one scone, grabbing a flower by the thorns, and bringing home the bagels. As I said, unbelievable and a little bit crazy too. And as mildly amusing as these little vignettes of 2018 life are, there's, of course, a more serious undertone because none of it to happiness seems to lead. Did you know what the Oxford English Dictionary word for 2018 is? Toxic. I had a Britney Spears joke here, but Hannah said, please. <laughs> but are we surprised? Are we surprised? that when we're not sure whether we can actually believe anything at all, and seemingly the world is losing its marbles in every single direction, are we surprised that our heads threaten to explode and that now and again maybe we might get a little bit toxic? But at the root of it all, we're not bad people. No worse than we've ever been, to be honest. The problem is not really toxicity, it's just that we're all feeling a little bit lost. Because what we're actually all crying out for, what we are in desperate need of, always, but actually particularly right now at this little moment in history, is some sort of ballast in life, something that we can grab hold of, and it's solid, and it's good, and it's always going to be there. Someone who can bring some sort of sense and purpose to our life. Someone who can say, oh, actually, you do matter. There is meaning to life. There is a purpose for this whole sort of thing. And let's be honest, despite his undoubted genius, it was never going to be Kanye, was it? Now, of course, there are some sprouts of hope here and there. However, if the answer is a 29-year-old Puerto Rican first-time congresswoman from the Bronx, however brilliant she is, and let me tell you, I think she's brilliant, I just don't think we're asking big enough questions. What I'm talking about is something out of this world. I had these two uh, contrasting experiences of Christianity growing up, and I apologize for people who've heard this before. But basically, uh, they were two contrasting experiences, and neither of them particularly positive. The first was of the boarding school I went to, uh, sent as a kid from 13 to 18. As I've said before, it's a bit like Hogwarts, but for pale, overprivileged young boys like me. We wore capes, don't worry about that. But part of the school was having to go to chapel every Sunday. Actually, not just every Sunday, but all five days of the midweek as well. 
and chapel was very strict, it was very formal, choral music, things chanted in Latin, and the whole thing was deathly, deathly, deathly dull. And we'd all go there because we had to. No one wanted to be there, and we'd sit there going, why are we here? And I started going, why are we here? And I asked people, and they said, I don't know, we just go. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to find out from the priest what he thinks. Um, Excuse me, priest, could you tell me why we do this? And his answer made me completely clear that he didn't really know why we did it either. And I thought, well, that's reassuring. Not as bad as the contrasting experience, which was of two evangelical Christian holiday camps that my parents sent me on. These were easily as bad as they sound. Basically, the people there really did believe in something, and they were gunning for people like me. It was really kind of rock climbing in the morning, being told just how disappointed God is with you in the afternoon. Outdoor pursuits and guilt for a whole week with just boys. And I disliked these even more than I disliked college chapel. And so after a while, I thought, well, all of this is either completely made up or it's boring or actually God doesn't sound very nice. Jesus doesn't sound very nice. I think I'd probably take my chances without it. Thank you very much. After all, I'd prefer to probably just poke my head with a finger every Sunday morning than sitting through that anymore. And so I decided I'm going to become an agnostic. I don't really know what I believe, but it's definitely not that. And then I went away to university, and I decided, actually, I don't believe any of it at all. And I was an atheist, and it was great. I felt completely free for the first time in my life. Brilliant. Goodbye, God. Don't believe you. I'm going to run my own life. Fast forward 10 years or so. And I found myself wandering into a church, a proper one this time, thankfully. And I remember saying to God as I walked in, I don't, excuse me, I don't even believe in you. But I'll come along, I'm just not going to get involved. And then I burst into tears. Didn't know why. I'd never cried. And then I burst into tears. Not sad, not happy, just burst into tears. Actually, it felt quite a relief. It felt like, oh, quite like being here. So I carried on coming, and I sat at the back, not getting involved for a long time. And then, one service in particular. The things I remember about this service were, one, the music wasn't very good. Two, the sermon was really not very good. But nevertheless, having sat through this not very good service, I walked to the front at the end, and I... I didn't really know how I got there, but I knew that people went there if they wanted people to pray for them. And I thought, I'd never, I don't want to even be involved. I don't really want to be here, but I'm at the front, and someone's praying for me. But before I'm being prayed for, it's like I have been plugged into an electrical outlet. It's like there is electricity running through my body. I'd have no previous experience of this before, but there I am, shaking at the front, falling to the floor, writhing around for about 10 or 15 minutes. I don't think even anyone had come close to me. When I sort of came round, I went, wow, something going on here then. Didn't make me believe, just thought there's something going on here. So I kept on coming back. And I explored intellectual arguments, I looked at the history of the whole thing and found myself increasingly compelled by this person, Jesus. And after a while, I thought, oh, I've just got to give up. don't want to be a Christian, but I can't stop myself. I think it's true, and I became a Christian. Didn't tell any of my friends. They would have thought I'd gone mental. 
But that's the Jesus I want to talk about. I'm not talking about the Jesus co-opted by politics, the Jesus co-opted by prejudice, or perhaps even your pastors or your parents. You know the one. The one you may well have quite rightly and very courageously said, not interested in that. I want to talk about the actual historical one. The refugee baby born in a stable who owned no personal property, never wrote a book, whose public ministry lasted less than three years, who spent the majority of his time with the downtrodden and the outcasts, no one of real influence, and then who died abandoned by all those who came to serve, that real one. Because that real one, despite all that, this solitary life has had more of an impact infinitely more of an impact on all of human history, both before and since, than any other life. Why is that again? When I um, sat down to write this little speech, I was confronted by the terror of the blank page. 20 minutes of words, of speech that I needed to come up with. And I looked at the page and I thought, no one wants to hear more words and speeches, do they? We want action. Decisive, universe-altering action. That's what we want. That's what we need at our core. Well, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, eternal, one there before the beginning of time, infinite in his splendor, glorious in his majesty, he was born as a human being, in a tiny little stable, is that enough action for us? Christianity's got nothing to do with religion. Nope. It's not a moral code. Nope. What we Christians think is that we can actually know him. We can actually connect with the divine. Of course, we love the Christmas glam and the glitz and the gifts and the spritz and the booze and the schmoozing. But we're thinking about a baby. Actually, baby schmaby. Because babies are cute, obviously, but I'm not that interested in babies. I am interested in my babies. My babies actually, and I'll let you into a secret, they are the cutest of all time. They were, they always will be. No one else comes close to my cute little babies. Yours, not even a chance. So sorry, I know you think yours are cute. They're not, mine are. <laughs> so I'm interested in those. But I'm not riveted by Jesus the baby. Except that, of course, in order for him to become the man I believe he is and was, a skyscraper needed to be distilled into a test tube. An ocean lighter needed to pass through a thimble. God Almighty took on eyelids and fingers and a tiny, fragile, beating heart and was born in a stinking stable in the arms of a teenager. 
Because here God shows us he knows us by becoming one of us. Imagine you wanted to communicate with a colony of ants. I'm sure that's what you've been thinking in your idle moments. Well, God Almighty clothed himself with flesh to show us he knows exactly what human nature is like, exactly what our experiences of life are like, the good and the bad. But Jesus also shows us exactly what God is like. Jesus the man went on to say this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and I and my Father are one. And Jesus, the man, made a beeline for the weakest and the poorest, the most rejected, whilst also ignoring all of those who pretended to have it all together, the insincere, the self-absorbed, and especially the religious. Not too interested in those people, Jesus was. But he offers relationship to anyone. Come follow me. And he says, and I'll give you rest to anyone. So if this is true, none of us, not one of us, need to carry on thinking and wondering about what God is like, whether he actually exists, because he has fully disclosed himself in the person of his son. So it also means that not one of us, not one of you, is beyond the beautiful reach of his unending, unconditional compassion. And if this is true, it explains the joy the deep, lasting joy, the joy that's so strange in these ancient and modern songs, the joy is that joy of being known, of being loved, of having purpose and reality and going, I actually know, despite all the things I don't, I know what life's about. Because it's hardwired into our experience to need that. The truth is this, we're all actually cosmic orphans. Wandering around, trying to find our way home. But let me tell you, what we're not looking for is a new belief system. It's not a set of morals. It's not a new regime or a novel way of thinking. But a person. The one we're made for. The one person who can tell you exactly who you are, exactly where you're going, and exactly what you're for. In the midst of all the unreality, in all the crazy and the unbelievable, in the midst of the darkness, Christmas says a light has dawned, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he doesn't just lead us home, he is our home, and our hearts are restless. that quivering, uneasy restlessness. They're restless until they find their rest in him. So let me just end with this. You don't need whoever is the latest lifestyle guru du jour, or Jordan Peterson, or Bernie Sanders telling you what's what. 
You don't need me telling you what's what. You don't even need your mother telling you what's what. You need something much bigger and much better. And Jesus Christ, walking amongst you in the room right now, says to you, each one of you, you're wonderful. You're my favorite. You're the precious one that I took flesh just for. And I want to live my life with you. And as I do that, I will bring life in all its abundant fullness. Life's complicated. People say, oh, Christianity is such a crutch. You, just, you, can't, you can't survive, can you? You can't survive without your Jesus crutch hobbling around. I went, nope, I cannot. Can you? Jesus is the only one who makes sense of this world because he's the only one big enough. He's the one who created it, and he created you, and he loves you very much. Thank God for Christmas. Amen. In a minute, we're going to hear from our lovely children. Oh, mine are the cutest. But I want to say one thing. Often for people, they're interested in these sorts of big questions, but they don't want to come to church because they're a bit worried what church might do. But they want to actually have a context in which to explore these sorts of questions. I certainly did. I'm sure you did too. If you have been brought up in the church, but you're going, no thanks to that, do you actually want to work out what you think? We put on a course that runs three times a year. It's five evenings. It's at, and I pronounced this wrong the other day, it's not Kovelbar, to rhyme with hovel. I think it's Kovel. Kovel. The, the hipsters are saying yes. Kovel uh, Bar is just down the road, and we've booked out the room. We'll supply cheese and uh, meats, <laughs> as well as flatbreads. You buy your drinks, and each evening, starting on the 16th of January, for five weeks consecutively, we will just sort of do a little presentation like this, and then there's a chance to ask any question, discuss any point of view, basically get it all out there, because this is what we found, is that people actually really want to do this. They want to go, wait a second, what do you mean the historical Jesus? Clearly not made up, I mean, clearly made up. What do you mean, what about all the other religions? What about all the hot potatoes that we can juggle around. I want to talk about these things. So this is an opportunity really for you, for you to go, yes, I would like to do that, or particularly, I've got friends that I want to bring to that. So 16th of January, Cobble Bar, down the road, come along, hear something like this, and then discuss it, and we'll move on from different subject to different subject. Can I tell you now, just put it in your calendar, you'll love it, don't miss out. Have a very, very happy Christmas. God bless you all.